It's good to see you all this morning. Nice, crisp morning, but the sun is shining. That's something to be thankful for. Glad you're here. <coughs> Again, it's good to see the Foss family here this morning. We've uh, missed you greatly, prayed for you uh, a lot. Good to see God having you back with us. All of our visitors this morning want to welcome you. If you're here visiting, you're most welcome. Glad to have you here in our worship time. And with that, I'll ask you to turn with me to John chapter 7. John chapter 7. Verse 17, if you'll follow with me, I'll just read a couple of verses here before we get to the main part of the, the text. Verse 17, if anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true. And in him there is no falsehood. You know, false teachers are a problem and they always have been a problem. Those who teach erroneous things, heresies, and seek to deceive people, they abound in our society and in other societies around the world. It was no different in Jesus' day. False teachers were there as well. And Jesus confronted the false teachers. The problem is, how do you know who they are? I have, I have people say to me, well, this one says this and this one says that. Who are you going to believe? Well, Jesus confronts all of that here in this passage. His reply to the Jewish false teachers came face to face. He, he confronted them face to face and they hated him for it. Jesus' reply comes in three parts, answering all the charges that they were leveling against him. You remember from chapter 5 on through chapter 6, there were many things that they said about him. And we saw that at the first part of this, this chapter. Some said that he was only a good man among other good humans. Some said that he was a deceiver, trying to deceive the people. Some said that he was unaccredited, that he was was uneducated formally. However, Jesus never claimed to be a good man. And he never claimed to have tried to deceive anyone. He never 
claimed to be formally educated. These are things that they leveled against him. They were trying to find something to discredit him with. They could have tested his claims. And they would have found that he was telling the truth as he said. This could have been done in one of three different ways. Or it could have been done in all three three of different ways. In verse 17, it could have been done subjectively. In other words, they could have tested his inward or moral person. They could have looked at what kind of person he was, what he was doing in his life. They could have they would have discovered that he was telling the truth by them them doing what God's will was themselves. If they were doing the will of God, they would have recognized that Jesus was doing the will of God. They could have, in other words, they could have weighed what he said against what God's revealed will was in the scriptures. But they were not concerned about the will of God. They didn't really care what the will of God was. God's will is to live a holy and righteous life before him. Something that the Pharisees knew nothing about. The person who does not know God does not live according to God's Word. They don't care about God's Word. Even if they know what God's Word says, they just don't care about living it. That person only knows about God. They do not actually know Him. In verse 18, they could have tested what He said objectively. They could have evaluated his life and his motives as one with a message from God. Jesus didn't speak for his own glory. He didn't claim to speak for himself. In fact, he said he was speaking for another. He did not seek to amass personal property or goods from those he spoke to. He was in the truest sense. A messenger from heaven. He claimed to tell the truth and he claimed to be the truth. Now, if I might just regress a little and spend a little time here in verse uh, verse 18. What we find here is Jesus giving a miniature crash course in false prophets, what it looks like to be a false prophet. Their character, their motives. Now there are two characteristics that every false teacher possesses. The first one is self-authority. All false teachers have a sense of self-authority. They do their They teach their own message. It's not the message of another. It's their own message. And when, even when using scripture, false teachers will twist it to match their own teaching. 
This was true of the Old Testament false teachers. Jeremiah chapter 14, verse 14, the Lord said to me, The prophets are prophesying lies in my name. I did not send them, nor did I command them to speak to them or speak to them. They are prophesying to you a lying vision, a worthless divination and deceit from their own minds. This is what false prophets, false teachers do. Thus says the Lord, do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. Is that not what's going on today with all the false teaching around us? Are people not being filled with with all kinds of illusions of, of wealth and prosperity and health and all kinds of good things on this earth which is cursed? Do not listen to them. They have seen false visions. They say, declares the Lord, when the Lord has not sent them. And yet they expect Him to fulfill their word. This is God speaking. They teach from their own authority. Second, the second trait follows and flows from the first one. False teachers always seek their own glory. They always seek their own glory. They may say that what they're doing is from God and for God, but in the end, it only elevates them and makes them popular or makes them rich. Oh my... We could name a whole lot of names here. I think you know who they are. You've heard them. You've seen them. Their ultimate desire is to attract a following and secure personal wealth from that following. They are not concerned about feeding the flock. On the contrary, they are there to fleece the flock. And to get what they can from it. They're not concerned about a living that God would provide through His people. But they want a lavish lifestyle while their followers are in need. It is sort of a spiritual socialism. Where only the elite on top get wealthy and everyone else is poor. God said to Ezekiel, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should should not the shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat. You clothe yourself with the wool. You slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. See, that's what teachers from God are for. They're for feeding the sheep. It's not for building their own little kingdoms and gaining wealth and prosperity. The writers of the New Testament also warned against the danger and detriments of false teachers. 
The Apostle Paul was constantly warning the saints in all the churches to look out for false teachers. Let me just give you a couple of passages. Romans chapter 16. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine you have been taught. You think false doctrine is not important? Or doctrine is not important? It's absolutely important. That's why we have harped on it so many years here. And in the end, if you teach good, sound doctrine, good, sound teaching from Scripture, the end result is that people grow from it and they become strong. And then they're able to look and see something that's false based upon the truth that they've received. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ. They serve their own appetites. And by their smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. Romans 16, verse 17 and 18. He writes to the Philippians, For many of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even with tears, they walk as the enemies of the cross of Christ. The end, their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory is their shame with minds set on earthly things. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and depraved in truth. Imagining that godliness is a means of gain. This is, this is false teachers. And they'll tell people that. They'll tell people that if, if you're really blessed by God, you'll become wealthy. You'll become rich. You won't be sick. What lies those things are. And people, gullible people, who are, who are moved and motivated by greed, believe it. Paul writes to Titus and he says these kinds of people must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching what is shameful gain that they ought not to teach. When Paul met with the elders of Ephesus in Acts chapter 20, this is what he said. In fact, turn there with me. I want you to see that. Acts 20, verses 28 to 31. Acts 20, verse 28, pay careful attention to yourselves. And he's speaking to the elders here who are the ones that feed the, feed the flock of God, the ones that teach the church. Be careful, pay attention to yourselves, to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. That right there is enough to keep me on the straight and narrow. In this regard. To know that Christ shed his blood. For you the church. Those of you who know him in the forgiveness of sin. That I would come every week and stand up here and teach you. What the scriptures say. What God says. Because he paid His with for you with his blood. 
does that not place a heavy weight upon what goes on here? Verse 29, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. Remembering that for three years I did not cease night and day to admonish you, every one of you, with tears. See, this is, this is the task of the elders. The elders are here to keep watch because there are false teachers and they abound. And they come in subtly. They come in under the guise of Christians, of brothers. I had to run one off just not long ago. You don't know about it. You don't know about these things. They're done behind the scenes. Someone came in here not long ago passing out literature that was heretical. And I told him, I said, look, you're you're not welcome here if this is what you're going to do. Don't come back with this stuff. I do that because of you. Why are false teachers so dangerous? Because they lead people into hell for an eternity of suffering and torment. That's why they're dangerous. Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, now get this, just listen to what he says. Luke chapter 6, verse 26. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you. For that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. Ooh. So it's a pretty good thing when people are not speaking so well of you sometimes. See, false teachers, they want to be liked, they want to be accepted, they want to be followed. From the serpent in the garden to the modern day hucksters of religion, these false ones will receive their just penalty before God. Peter describes their their end in 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 17. He says, for them, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. Ooh. Think false, think false teaching is a serious thing with God? It certainly is. Now Jesus was just the opposite of this. There was nothing false in Him. He spoke the truth just like it was. And as in our day when the truth is spoken, people hate you for it. Because it goes against the grain of their lives. It goes against the grain of their worldview. It goes against the grain of what they themselves are involved in doing and living. Jesus' only desire, His lone desire, was to glorify God. I do not seek my own glory. There is another one. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. God the Father is seeking his own glory, and Jesus is giving it to him. That's what we ought to do. 
And we do that through Christ, who, whom God has elevated to the highest place. So false teachers, false teachers speak on their own authority, and false teachers seek their own glory. There's a third, third way to test what Jesus had said. And that would have been by personal observation. All they had to do was just simply look at Jesus and see his life. False religion, the false religion of the Jews is juxtaposed against the completely reliable truth of Jesus' words and his life that matched it. In short, Jesus is saying to them, you are the recipients of the law. God gave the law to you through Moses. And God has been very gracious in giving it to you. But just being a recipient is not enough. You have to live it. All this wrangling back and forth goes Back to Jesus healing this man on the Sabbath in chapter 5. That's where it started. They accused him of breaking the Sabbath laws by doing the healing. Do you know it is often, it is often the pretenders who seek to blame the godly for the very things that they themselves are doing. Jesus now turns the tables on his Jewish aggressors. He has not broken any Sabbath law that was not permitted. If your ox falls in the ditch on the Sabbath, you can get it out. But each one of them, each one of these Jewish leaders had broken the law and had justified it. In themselves. This is what Jesus reveals in verse 19. And there in verse 19, he begins a dialogue that they will not be able to defend. And the result will be at the end of chapter 8 that they pick up stones to stone him to death. Woe to you when people speak well of you. Now that doesn't mean that you go around with a martyr complex just trying to make people hate you and say bad things about you. It just means that when you speak the truth, they're not going to like it. And they're going to hate you for it. That's not only true for me, it's true for you too. If you're a, if you're a believer, if you're following Christ. For all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted in some form. Verse 19, follow with me. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Ooh, that would have hurt them, wouldn't it? Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, you have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? Jesus answered them, I I did one work and you all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision 
Not that that is from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision, so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. The Jews were constantly boasting that they were Moses' disciples, that God had given them the law of Moses and that they were following Moses and that God's word, God's law was the word of God. They believed that. John Phillips writes, they regarded themselves as its custodians and interpreters. He's speaking of the law. They elaborated its precepts. They delved into the mazes of legal uh, minute. They, they hedged it around with elaborate detail and failed to keep it, as Jesus pointed out. For many years I lived in this kind of world where everybody believed the Bible. Everybody believed it was God's Word, but nobody really lived it. In saying that they believed it was God's Word, but not living it, they denied its power in their lives. In other words, their lives didn't match what they said they believed. They were, we call it hypocrisy. Their lives were hypocritical. Turn to Matthew 23 with me, please, very quickly. Matthew 23, verse 1 through verse 5. Then Jesus said to the crowds, And to his disciples, the scribes and Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but do not, but not the works they do. Hmm. They're still your leaders, Jesus says, and respect them for that, but don't follow what they do. For they preach, but they do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. Now the burdens he's talking about and the things they tie up to put on people's shoulders are spiritual burdens, legal burdens. Got to do this. You got to you got to go there. You got to dress like this. You got to act like this. You got to speak like this. They leave no room for the Spirit of God to tell people themselves how to live based upon the Word of God. It's called legalism. I will not be a party to that. I'm not going to tell you where to go, what to do, how to look, what to say. 
Scriptures tells you that. The Spirit of God will tell you that through the Bible. And if you're a follower of Christ, if you're a believer in Christ, you'll want to know what the Bible says about how you're to do those things. Now, I'll tell you what the Bible says, but you're the one that in the end has to do that. John Phillips again, everyone's teaching stands or falls by the fruit it produces in the lives of those who embrace it. That's why we look for spiritual growth. We're not, we're not concerned about uh, filling this place up and buying land and building new buildings and so on and so on and so on and so on. That, that's, a, that's a pipe dream. It's a diversion. What we're concerned about is growing God's church. Growing it spiritually. So that it lives Christ in the community. So that we become known not as a mega thing from a physical standpoint, but mega in the spirit. So that when people see our lives, they know there's something different about us. And if they don't see that, then we need to Examine to see if we're living the hypocritical life. Now the phrase that Jesus uses here, has not Moses given you the law, is a rhetorical question that evokes a positive response, an affirmative answer. Yes, they would have all answered yes, Moses gave us the law. That would have been their reply. The Jews prided themselves in being the disciples of Moses. They stood for and upheld Moses as the one, as their one true teacher. But they did not obey Moses and their lives were a sham. This statement, yet none of you keeps the law, is the most accurate assessment of fallen humanity that has ever been made. No one is able to keep God's law. No one. No one has ever entered God's kingdom by keeping the law. By being religious. By doing, trying to do good. Sometimes you hear people say, well, I'm, I'm really trying to, you know. Quit trying and start trusting. And, and trusting will bring about the actions that you're trying so desperately to me. Galatians chapter 3, for all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. If you want to be cursed, just try to, try to do good deeds and get, to get you to heaven, and you'll be cursed. That's what he's saying. Cursed is everyone who does not abide in all things written in the book of the law to do them. you got to do everything perfectly. If you could do it perfectly, then you could get in. But you can't. One sin in all of life would be enough to send you to hell. We know that that's not the case. There are many more 
Our lives are sinful. Is the law contrary to the promises of God, Paul asks? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, the righteous would indeed be, righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin. See, you look in the Bible and what it does is it reveals the fact that you are a sinner. That you cannot get to God on your own. There's no good work that you could possibly do. So that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. The only way you get there is by rejecting the fact that denying that you you can do nothing. Admitting you can do nothing. And then rejecting yourself to trust Christ. The Jews with their religious system of sacred rules sought to keep it. They sought to keep the law. And they thought it would render eternal life to them, but they were wrong. They were sincere, but they were sincerely wrong. I think there are a lot of people who are sincere. They really believe that they do this, this, or that, or the other, or whatever their church tells them, or some some person. They're sincere. But sincerity never saved anyone. Jesus said in verse 19, they were privileged to have received the law of Moses, but none of them kept it or or observed it in life. In our terms, it would be like saying, you say you're a Christian, but you sure don't live like one. You ever heard that? That would cut you to the heart, would it not? Well, it would if you're truly a Christian, it would. That kind of rebuke elicits one of two responses. Either it would bring a deep sense of conviction and drive the true believer to confession and repentance, or it would cause the false professor to become defensive and angry. Turn with me to 2 Timothy, chapter 2. Look at verse 19. The Apostle Paul speaks to this. And he says in this verse that salvation must be accompanied by a departure from the old sinful life, not as a, not as a work that someone just tries to do, but as a result of actually being saved. Notice what he says. But God's firm foundation stands. Now what is he speaking about there? He's talking about the church being the pillar and ground of truth. God's foundation stands in the church they are the, it is the church 
that God has given His truth to, not only to preach, but to live. God's foundation stands bearing this seal. The seal is a sign of ownership. So, he's saying that God's church is owned by God. It's owned by Christ. Now notice what he says. The Lord knows those who are His. The Lord knows those that are His. That's saying that He knows those that are not His too. He knows the ones that are false. He knows the ones that are just putting on a show for people to see. He knows the ones that are not really trusting in His Son. The Lord knows those that are His. And, here we go, let let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. You see that? God knows who the real ones are. And it's the real ones who depart from iniquity. It's the real ones who have a desire to live holy lives. It's the real ones who want to be righteous. It's the real ones who who are ready to confess their sin before God and seek His forgiveness. This is God's second way of sealing His own people. It is through their holy and righteous lives that are the result of His choosing them to be His own. He chose us to be His own. And the seal of that is our lives reflect Him and His righteousness, His holiness. It's not that we're perfect. We still sin. We still do wrong things. But when confronted by the Scriptures or by our conscience or by someone else of those things, we are ready to turn from them. We are ready to confess that we did wrong. And we are ready to repent of it and seek His face again and walk with Him in holiness. The unbeliever does not want to do that. You confront, you confront their sin, they get angry. They get defensive. Oh, I know Christians can do that too. I often, my wife will sometimes say to me things that I've done that she knows I know is wrong too, and I get defensive about it. I want to, I want to defend myself, and then I go away and I think about it, and I, you know, she's right. She she was right, and I end up coming back and saying, uh, you you were right. I said it was wrong. What I did was wrong. Husbands, your your wives are probably the best sanctifier you've got other than the Word itself. And wives, the same. Our Lord looked into the faces of these people who were religious but lost and He read their hearts and He saw their future and it was not positive. Many of those whom he spoke to here are pilgrims from 
other other towns, other lands that have come to Jerusalem for the feast. And Jesus is speaking to them. He's gathered them before him and and gathered with them are the Jewish leaders. They find he's there. These people that had come into Jerusalem were not aware of a lot of the things that had gone on previous to this. And so, when Jesus said, why do you seek to kill me? They didn't know what he was talking about. They, they thought, this guy's lost his mind. He's, a par- he's, he's gone paranoid. He's insane. You have a demon. Ooh, that's dangerous ground, isn't it? To say that God's son, the Messiah, had a demon. To relegate what he's saying as demonic. He's reading their hearts. He knows who it is that is seeking his death. He knows it's the, the Jewish leaders. But the people you see are so duped. They're so, they've been following these Jewish leaders and they've been under their thumb for so long that they do not know how to break free from that stranglehold of rules and regulations imposed upon them. These so-called guardians of the law whose central attribute was of the law itself, the central attribute of the law was love. And yet they're not showing love. They're hate. They're hating Christ. They want to murder Him. Now this statement that He makes, why do you seek to kill me, is also prophetic. Because Jesus knows why they want to kill him, and they know that, and he knows that in God's plan, that is exactly what's going to happen. Within six months' time, these same pilgrims will be in Jerusalem for the Passover, and they will be crying out, Crucify him! Let him be crucified. These pilgrims who were unaware of the Jews' prior threats are now themselves filled with resentment because of Jesus' words. And they say to him, you have a demon. Who's trying to kill you? You, You've gone crazy. They feel that an evil spirit is overtaking his mind and he's got to be insane. This would be not be the last time that Jesus would be accused of having a demon. In John chapter 8, verse 48, the Jews answered, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? In John chapter 8, verse 52, the Jews said, Now we know you have a demon. Chapter 10, verse 20, many of them said, He has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? When you're, when you're giving the gospel and when you're living the gospel, people will think you're crazy. They'll think you've gone crazy. They'll think you've lost your mind. How could you possibly choose that life 
over all that the world has to offer. Even today, when an individual believes that someone is trying to kill them or do great bodily harm to them, it is often marked down as paranoia or some sort of mental self-conspiracy or some kind of persecution complex. But Jesus knew what was going to happen six months later. He knew it. Now, just look at what our Lord has gone through to this point in his life. He has done nothing but tell the truth in his words. He has done nothing but live the truth in his actions. He has done nothing but show kindness to people everywhere he went. He has done nothing but meet needs of people everywhere he went. And yet, people say, you're, you're nuts. You, have, you must be demon-possessed. You, you've gone insane. It's just a fraction of what would come. And he, would, he would keep this and he would go all the way through to the end and he would die an agonizing death as our substitute so that we might live. See, there's life in what Jesus is doing here. He is giving Himself for sinners like you and me. He will go to the cross and die there for sinners like you and me. And unless we repent of our sins, unless we turn from our sins to Christ, we will be lost forever. If you have not trusted Christ today for the forgiveness of sin, I beg you, in Jesus' name, to trust Him. Repent of your sins. Turn from your sins. Follow Christ. Fall in love with Him. Because that's where life really is. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank You for time we've had this morning to look into your word we pray that you would bless it use it as you see fit we have sought to speak that which you have given us and we know that it's enough for it's not the eloquence of what we say that's important but the truth of it and the truth is that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom we are all the foremost at the top. But we're so thankful for His sacrifice of Himself in our place. And anyone who trusts in Him can have life through Him. And so I pray, Lord, that You would use this time to speak to us, to show us Help us to draw closer to you. For the days are evil. The time is short. And we will all one day stand before you. Either as welcomed sons and daughters or as those who have rejected you and be sent away. I pray that you would 
Use this, your word, to fulfill your will in the lives of people. In Jesus' name, amen.